John chapter 17. We have come as far as verse 3, but let's just read through that to remind ourselves. It says, These words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, that's why we have it recorded audibly, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him authority over all flesh, the reason that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. So we continue to slowly work our way through this. <clears throat> and again, you know, I come back to it and I think going through the Gospel of John. All right, Lord, help me here with the, you know, the, the guy that was healed of blindness. Lord, help me here. The feeding of the 5,000. Help me here. But when we come to this chapter, you have deity speaking to deity. You have God speaking to God. And I come here, I think, Lord, I, I got nothing here, Lord. I got zero here. Please help me to understand what you'd have me understand for myself looking at this. You know, it comes to deity speaking to deity I don't know, you know, it wasn't in Greek. That's what it ends up written in. Was I don't think it was in Aramaic. I doubt whether it was in Hebrew. We don't know what language it was in. You know, we have the record of it here before us. And again, one of the, the scholars I read last week said, look, when you come to this chapter, it doesn't mind, it doesn't matter if you're a stonemason or you're a carpenter, if you're a computer programmer, it doesn't matter how high your IQ is, it doesn't matter how many PhDs you have or theological degrees. When we come to this chapter, everybody's in diapers. You know, because however smart you are measured against another human being, the distance between your IQ and what's happening here is immeasurable. It's infinite. It's eternal. So we come to it. The Lord wanted us to have it. He spoke it out loud. Again, you figure he could have just got away by himself and communed with his father. And it would have been effective talking to his father. But instead, he's surrounded with the disciples. He wants them to hear what he's saying to the father so that it might come to us this morning. You know, sometimes on the news, you'll see there's a situation where there's an open mic and a politician is talking, doesn't realize they hadn't turned the mic off. And you'll hear him say something. They think, oh, are you kidding me? You know, or, or somebody will say something that's offensive to a lot of other people. Somebody will say something that's just wacko. You know, here we have an open mic deliberately on purpose so that everything that is said might be heard and weighed 
and measured in our hearts, and we are totally dependent because there's no human that's being healed of blindness, there's no multitude that's being fed. This is deity speaking to deity. And we are all in tremendous need. Lord, give me, as your son or your daughter, what you want me to have here. And, and we could study it, you know, for decades. And it still would speak afresh. It still would have it be filled with new things. So in verses 1 to 3, Jesus said, Father, glorify thy son. The hours come, glorify thy son. And he's not asking selfishly. He says, the reason I want you to do that is so that your son might glorify you. I don't want glory for myself, but if you glorify me, that will lend itself to your glory. So in the first three verses, the Lord's praying in the third person. He's saying, Father, you know, glorify thy son, that thy son might glorify thee, and so forth. And he's asking for glory relative to the Father's glory. When we get to verse 4, he begins to speak in the first person, and he's saying now, I and thee. And the guys are listening to this. He's talking to God Almighty, God the Son, and he's saying back and forth, I have glorified thee. And the, the flavor of it changes in a remarkable way, and now he's asking for glory relative to what he's accomplished. It changes some. So again, I, I look at this and I think, Lord, we could look at this the rest of our lives. And what was it like for God to be speaking to God? You know, how, how can we measure that or understand that? But he wanted it recorded. There are wonderful things in here for us, no doubt, as we go through. We've come as far as verse 4. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work you've given me to do. We're going to three really things come across to us here. I have finished. I have manifested. And then they have kept. There's three things here, certainly at least for us to look at. And, and in this fourth verse, really the way it reads in, in, the, in the original language is, I thee have glorified. And I thee are both emphatic. It means I, I, Father. It encounters things to all others. You, Father, you, I've glorified. There's an emphasis in it. And you think, what was that like going back and forth in the heavenlies, as it were, between the Father and the Son? I have glorified thee on the earth, the place where rebellion and sin is rampant. I've glorified thee on the earth, and then I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have finished, and the way it's stated here, it's stated as an accomplished historical fact. You know, it's the same word Jesus is going to use in, in chapter 19, verse 30, when he's on the cross. And he says there, it is finished. Earlier, he said, I just want to do what the Father's called me to do and finish his work. Now he's saying, I have finished. Historically, it's settled. And yet he hasn't been on the cross yet. 
He hasn't said it is finished yet on the cross. And yet as he, as a divine heart here, God speaking to God, he's saying to him, okay, it's done. It's done. The work is finished. And I've done that to bring glory to your name. You know, oh, Father, glorify me with thine own self. That's not because, you know, it says, now, Father, verse 5, he's not saying, now that I've finished the work, now you can glorify me. He doesn't say, I've paid you off. And because I've done what I was supposed to do, now you can glorify me. There's none of that here in, in this picture at all. He, he is saying, now, the idea is at this present time. Now. And remarkably, now he says, Father, note that, glorify thou me. And then it's with thine own self. And the way this reads out in the original, beautiful, now, Father, Glorify thou me with thine own, in thine own presence. It says with thyself, you know, beside thee is the idea. Some translate it that way. He says, glorify me in thine own presence with the glory I had with thee before the world was. The glory that I had is imperfect. It's I always had this glory. I've always had it. And I have it now. And what he's asking for, you know, as we go through here, glory is seven or eight times in the, in the chapter, but it's five times in the first five verses. And you and I, when we think about that, we think about a human being trying to get the glory. Or we're thinking about, you know, Jesus getting the glory after he heals somebody. You know, he's not just saying glorify me because I've accomplished the work on the cross. He's talking about eternal glory. He's talking about, Father, there's a, a glory I had with you, your own self. Let me, Father, have this a pre-existent, pre-incarnate, eternal measure of glory. Wait, you know, uh, to be lifted up to shine as a light glory. He's describing something, and he says, it was there with you, and I was there with you before the world was. And again, John, if you're a John student, as you go through John's letters and his gospel in the book of Revelation, he uses the word world over and over, I think in this chapter 19 times, but John always uses the same word for world, whether he's talking about the world of humans, uh, the world of material that's around us, the universe. His context always determines what he means by world. In, in his first letter, John will say, if anyone has this world's goods, talking about material things, and sees his brother in need and doesn't help him, how does the love of Christ dwell him? So anybody has this world's good resources, the things of this world. He says in uh, chapter 2 of his first epistle, he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
Because if you do that, there's no room for the Father's love in you. Don't love the world, he tells us. Then he tells us in 3.16 of the gospel, God so loved the world. He just told, you know, don't love the world. But then he says, God loved the world. So when he says to us, love not the world, he means this soup that surrounds us, all the immorality and insanity. You can just see it. It's everywhere now. And you look at it and think, what in the world are, are we doing? This is crazy. He says, don't love that world. But he says, God so loved the world, that's the world of human beings, the world of humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son who believed not perish but have everlasting life. And here, it's interesting, it's cosmon, the way he uses the word. He said, this is a glory that I had with you before the world there is before the universe was, is existed. I want again to enjoy the glory I had with you before the universe existed. We can't measure that. What was there before the universe? You know, in, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. He creates it out of nothing. What's nothing? We don't know what nothing is. You can't even think what nothing is. You couldn't write a doctorate thesis on what nothing is. Because what is it? It's not empty space. It's not like you remove all the stars and planets from space. You have nothing. No, no, you have space. You still have space. What is it when there's nothing? No space, no dark space, no nothing. He says, there was at that time, Father, the glory that we shared in your own presence. And he said, now, this time, I want to enjoy that again. It says, for the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What is he? You know, we think here he is God talking to God about a glory that existed before the universe existed. And it's so remarkable when he's, he's laying these things out. He's asking, you know, the Father, there's this prayer. And he said, it was a glory that I had imperfect I have always had and still had at your side before the universe existed that mean that speaks of pre-existence it speaks of the fact that he's eternal it speaks of the fact that he is deity he was there with the father at his side in glory before the universe existed <laughs> and now in this you know we look at it and he's he's He's, it's saying here, the Father sent him. So often we think, well, the, the Son is God's love gift to you and I. Here we are this morning, saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Yeah, I agree. But here, me and you. But here, here he's saying there's something higher than our redemption. And that is the glory of God itself. He said, because this work that's finished, this longing I have to return to pre-incarnate glory, what was there, he says, that is something that you and I know about. That is something you approve of. And it isn't just me getting glory for myself. It's you getting glory because of the redemptive work that I've finished, which means that you and I are a glory to God. 
Here we sit, Calvary Chapel, 2,000 years later. Some of us are backslidden. Some of us are messing up. Some of us are doing something crazy. Some of us are beaten up. Some of us are tired. Some of us want to throw the towel in. Some of us are doing great. Some of us love singing. Some of us are saying, I can't believe they're singing that song again. You know, here we are in our humanity and all different. And it says here that it's God's glory that we're here and that we have the destiny that we do. It is a glory to God that such as us are going to live forever in his kingdom. And I think it's coming soon. Yeah. Now there's more than, more than two of us now. It's coming soon. And look, this, the work he's done, he's done voluntarily as we read the grammar. He entered in it at the Father's behest. He, he, this work you gave me to do. But then he did it vicariously also on, on, on behalf of you and I. And that means in this conversation, the merit he accomplished is infinite. If, if he went, regards to the Father's behest, the work you gave me to do, and he went for you and I vicariously to die in our place, that, and this is being spoken about God to God, that means what he purchased on the cross for you and I is infinite. It means the price is paid. It means we're going to be in his kingdom forever and forever and forever. I'm ready. Just remarkable. And now he says in verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men, here it says, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. They have kept thy word. Seven times in the chapter, by the way, he says, you and I are a gift given to the Son by the Father. I know you don't see yourself that way, but you and I are a gift given permanently to the Son by the Father, if you can imagine that. Yeah, because their glory is involved in it. And Jesus, you know, he doesn't, we don't sense at all in this prayer any place where he's saying, all right, Father, now's the time. The hour's come. Man, oh man, I can't believe I'm headed into this. This is such a bummer. You know, I mean, I'm a savior. I guess I got to do it. No, there's none of that here. He says him finishing the work is to his father's glory. And he is in some type of divine rejoicing enter into it because it will bring whatever glory it brings to him will be glory to the father and whatever glory to the father is the glory the father deserves and the father is longing to see you and I because we are gifts given to his son redeemed this is the divine conversation I mean you know again I think Lord what am I going to do with this how do I you know there's so many amazing things here of course if it's God talking to God it's all amazing I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, interesting, God's sovereignty, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. I have manifest thy name. The idea is it, he's speaking of something that is a historical fact. It's accomplished, something he's already done to manifest, to bring into the open, to make clear, to make comprehensible. 
he, he, it's brought into the open. And what the verb modifies is thy name, the male. What he has manifest, what he's made clear, what he's brought into the open, he says to his father, is your name. Your name, Onama. And in the language, Onama means everything that you are. Your attributes, your attitudes, your power, your love. And the Bible, they don't have a New Testament, you know. When, when Jesus is praying this, they understand that clearly, that a name is kind of relative to an attitude, to a character. I mean, Abraham, his name is Abram. It's changed to Abraham because God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And that's what it would mean. Isaac, Itzhak, is, means laughter. He's called laughter because Abraham and Sarah laughed when they heard they're going to have a baby. You know, and Sarah's 90 and Abraham's 100. So his name displayed something. Jacob, Jacob, it means heel catcher. Just imagine that. The twins are born, and as they're born, Esau comes out first, and Jacob grabs his heel. And Rebecca and Isaac said, well, I don't know, what should we call them? And he said, well, probably call that one heel catcher, Jacob. And the other one's Harry, we'll call him Esau, which means Harry. You just imagine, no, there's no imagination here at all in this process, you know. So they know the idea of names, and they know the great name of their God, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is at the burning bush. And Moses tells him to go to Egypt. He says, well, who, who should I tell them sent me? And he said, you tell them I am that I am hath sent thee. The becoming one. The one who is and the one who becomes whatever he needs to become, whenever he needs to become it. You tell them, I am that I am. That's why they wanted to stone Jesus every time he said, I am something. They understood. So God's name is relative to what he does and who he is. His compound names through the scripture in Genesis 22, we have Isaac there being offered by Abraham, his father. And God stops the process and says, to this day, it said, the mount of the Lord shall be seen. And there, God is called Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord, your provider. That's what he needed to be right there. As we get into Exodus chapter 15, the plagues are coming on Egypt. And God says to the children of Israel, none of the diseases I'm bringing upon the Egyptians shall come upon thee. Because I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. He says a few chapters later, as they're in a battle with Amalek, the perennial enemy of Israel, and, and Aaron and her have to hold up Moses' hand with a rod, and the victory is giving to them supernaturally. And the Lord said, that's because I am Jehovah Nissi. That's what I am. I'm the Lord, your banner. That's why I have victory. Chapter 6 of Judges. Gideon threshing grain in secret. He's so afraid of the Amalekites. There's so many of them. And God says, calls him, so I'm going to say, and he said, wait, he said, I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel. And in that smallest tribe, I'm the least of everybody in the tribe. I think you should do, because he's terrified. And the Lord said, no, I am Jehovah Shalom. I have become the Lord, your peace. 
Of course, we know from Psalm 23, I am Jehovah Ra, the Lord your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We know in Jeremiah, when the whole nation is going to be judged, and Nebuchadnezzar is coming, there's not a righteous man. And, and there, God says to Jeremiah in his brokenness, he says, I am Jehovah Sidkenim. I am the Lord, your righteousness. You see these people being ready to be carried away. I know what to become. I am that I am because I know what they need. And there's a kingdom coming when they're going to be there. I am the Lord, your righteousness. And in Ezekiel, wonderfully, as Ezekiel's in Babylon, in the captivity, and yet God shows him the kingdom age and what's coming. And then God says, and I am Jehovah Shema. I am the ever-present one. I am with you, even though they're carried away. Because what, that's what we need him to be in our lives sometimes. We need to know he's present. We need to know he's our peace. We need to know he's our banner. We need to know he's our provider. Now, Jesus picks up on that in the New Testament. It's, through his teaching, he says to them, I am, and they knew what he was saying when he said that, I am the bread of life. Then he said, I am, the name of God, the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And he's saying, Father, I've manifested your name. All of those things is a display of who our Father in heaven is. Of course, the most remarkable thing is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when Gabriel comes to Joseph, his stepfather, and Gabriel says, you shall call his name Jehovah Shua, not Jehovah Jireh, not Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shua, the Lord has become our salvation because he will save his people from their sins. His name. Jesus, his name is the Lord has become our salvation. So he demonstrates everything that God is. He says, you know, I've manifest your name. Now here, to me, here's the, the remarkable thing. Well, not that any of that's not remarkable. But uh, chapters 13 through 17, Jesus speaking of God uses the word father 53 times. In his gospel, he uses the word father 122 times. And of all of the manifestations of the father that he's made, that he's brought within our view and our, our comprehension, the most remarkable thing is this over and over and over father. And it says we, we have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, father, been in Israel many times, you hear the little kids, toddlers, calling their dad, Abba, Abba, which is daddy. And he says, because the spirit of adoption is within us, we say, Abba, Father. So of all of the manifestations, I manifest thy name. As we sit here this morning, realize that he's become everything we've needed him to become when we've needed him to become it. And it's almost like standing behind all of that is our Abba, our Father, our Father. Jesus to Philip, 
Henceforth say no more, show us the Father. Have I been with you so long, Philip? Yes, thou thou hast not known me. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. What a remarkable thing he brings before us here. He says, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou didst give me. The idea is as a gift. You've permanently given them to me as a gift out of this world, this crazy place. Thine they were. Interesting. And thou gavest them to me. And then he says, and they have kept thy word. Here, no doubt, speaking of the disciples gathered, but you know, this is speaking of disciples through all ages. We, we, we've, we've come together. We come on Sundays. We know about his love. We look into his word. We hear what he's done for us, what he's going to do with us. We hear what our origin was. We hear what our destiny was. You know, and all of those things are so precious to us as they were to them. And then he says, Father, I've finished. I've manifested. And they've kept it. To keep means, it's, it's the perfect tense, they have kept and always will keep your word. Your word. And it, they've guarded. It speaks about putting a garrison around military. They have guarded your word. Well, of course. If, as we're reading through this and it's telling us what he did for us, it's telling us what stands accomplished in heaven. It's telling us that what he's displayed to us is a father. I am that I am, whatever you need, children. And he said, those things have come to their hearts. And Father, they have kept thy word, guarded it. And that should be our attitude. Look, we should be guarding the word of God so that we don't lose it from our hearts. It it needs to speak to us, particularly in the days we're in continually. We need to guard the word of God so we don't violate it with our lives. It is the standard. We need to guard the word of God because there are so many people tampering with it now and watering it down. And you and I now are going to be called radicals because we believe in and teach the scripture. But the great thing is when this is all over, we've kept his word, haven't we? Here we are 2,000 years later. We've kept his word. So again in verse 7 then he says, Now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. So that's, no wonder they have kept and guarded the word. He said, They know now, Father, that all things, that's emphatic, all things, everything, there's nothing missing. They, they have known, which means they've come to know and they still know that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. They know the Father's the sender, and know Jesus the one who's come. The, the idea of they've kept, they've known, it, it, it is continuous, it's there. All things, he says, are of thee. Now that's as a source, not out from thee. They're of thee. They're flowing of thee as a source. All of these things flowing from our Father today as a source. Because sometimes we think, well, Jesus is there kind of there 
to placate the father. All right, father, I know they're kind of messed up, but remember, I paid for them on the cross and we're hoping that he prevails in convincing the father, you know, that he should take us to heaven even though we probably shouldn't be there. That's, none of that is here. This is God speaking to God about the work that he's accomplished. First, in regards to us, but more, even higher than that, in regards to God's own glory. And he said, that's because of everything you are, and I've manifest that to them. And because of that, they have guarded your word. And how I find in my own heart, look, that's a daily struggle. I need to do that. I need to turn to the scripture. I need to remember what it says. I think how many times have I pushed my head into the pillow at night, griping, aggravated, worried, tired, defeated, betrayed, stabbed in the back. You kind of lay it down and you try to get yourself to drift off to sleep and you toss and you turn. How many times? But how many times, I'd have to say as many times, how many times while I am tossing and turning and grinding through something, you know, Lord gives his beloved sleep, so I'm thinking, Lord, put me to sleep here if I'm your beloved, you know. How many times while that is going on is there in heaven's court a voice being lifted to the Father with my name on his lips? There were our great intercessors that we see here, our great intercessor ever liveth and maketh intercession for the saints. How many times in those valleys has he been saying, Lord, restore Joe, give him fresh initiative, give him strength, give him healing. All, those are all his names. To give these things to him and renew him. You know, Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, and that's not the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's the disciples' prayer, Matthew 6. He said, pray like this, our Father. That's how you should pray, not my Father, because he has different relationship. Our Father, knows which art in heaven, then here, hallowed be thy name. I manifest thy name unto them. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That sounds sweet, doesn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, because it sure ain't now on earth as it is in heaven. What, you know, what a remarkable thing he brings before us of our Father. Forgive them their trespasses. They forgive those who trespass against us. Give them their daily bread, Father. Supply. Teach them to look to you, Father, for these things. And as we spend... These weeks, if the Lord tarries going through this chapter, I should really encourage you on your own to sit with it. Let just let it speak to you. Just you have to kind of sit back and think this is God talking to God. What language, what, what beauty and depth are in each word that's going back and forth. And we don't hear, we don't really hear here how the, the father's responding to the son. God the son, though, we have in his petition to God the father. Just try to imagine what's going on 
between the two of them that we happened to get an open mic for deliberately so we could keep his word by reading it and by hearing it. His eternal word. So my encouragement to you is read through. You guys with me? Read through. Uh, if you're going to go to the sticker party, you can do that. But let's stand and let's bow our hearts and let's pray. There's Again, there's so much here that we want to look at together as we go through. Lord, we thank you for these things. And Lord, I'm sure that we're not even scratching the surface. And yet, Lord, think of the, the widow saying, even the crumbs that fall from your table, Lord, are sufficient. And Lord, as we go through this, Lord, the pieces that you would let us have, the light that you would allow to shine in our hearts, Lord, the sweetness you would let us taste, the affirmation you would let us receive, the love, divine love that would wash over us, Lord. We, we put all of those things before you that flow from eternity, divinity. And Lord, we are children in front of all of this. But we know it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We know you've placed your spirit in our hearts, the spirit of adoption, crying, Abba, the Father. So each week, Lord, as you tarry, as we may come back next week and look at this again, give us our portion, Lord. Only you can do that because of where these words are spoken from. And we trust you to do it, Lord. Jesus, we do pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.